Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Blair Horner, who is the president of, of NYPIRG. And he's here to talk about the budget negotiations in New York State. So, Blair, what's going on? You know, uh, the scandals involving Andrew Cuomo taking the front and center and nothing else seems to be discussed. So, uh, Felissa, then what's going on? Well, uh, I mean, uh, Cynthia, you're quite right that the controversies swirling around the governor are a major distraction in Albany. Um, But the state has to have a budget in place by April 1st, which is the beginning of its fiscal year. And both houses are sort of chugging along uh, with their own proposals. In many ways, the current budget or the, the final budget that will come out at the end of this month in many ways, it's more designed by what happened in Washington than what happened in Albany. Um, a few weeks ago, the, um, the Congress and the president uh, agreed to uh, a federal stimulus that provided $1.9 trillion for the country. And it looks like, according to Senator, U.S. Senator Schumer's office, about $100 billion in benefits to the state of New York. And so that goes really that goes a long way to dealing with all of the state's financial woes, as you mentioned. People aren't necessarily always paying the closest attention, but New York's finances were a mess due to the pandemic and debts that had accumulated even prior before that. In many ways, it's all now washed away by the Congress, and that should make it easier for the leaders of both houses of the legislature and the governor to cobble together a deal. So has the uh, in the past. Cuomo has taken an extremely active role in the budget process. Is that is that true this year? Well, I mean, like all things in Albany, um, all the important decisions are happening behind closed doors, and the budget's no different. So we don't really know what's going on. Uh, it's obviously must be uh, there's a new strain on the relationship between the governor and the leaders. The Senate Majority Leader has called on the governor to resign. The Assembly Speaker has begun a process which could lead to the impeachment of the governor. And those are, you would just think that would make things a little more tense in terms of conversations. That being said, um, the governor is still in the driver's seat. Uh, the budget is really put together under his, uh, within, within his powers. Although both houses now have super majorities, and if they want to impose their will on the governor, if they if they can work together, they can do that. So, I'm you know I'm reasonably optimistic that they'll get the budget done on or close to on time. I mean, the 31st of March, I believe, is a Wednesday, so it could spill over for a few days. But I think there's a particularly due to the Congress, I think there's a reasonably good chance that uh, they can come together with the budget agreement more or less on time. What do you see happening with the budget? What do you think will will what well what's being negotiated, and what do you think will happen on April first? Well, I mean, the big thing that's being discussed right now, as far as we can tell, is um, you know how many additional revenues should New York generate 
in addition to the federal stimulus. And that's that's really the big issue. I mean, a budget is really a function of how much money do you have, and then you decide how you want to spend it. And Mm -hmm. uh, the governor and legislative leaders agreed earlier this month that there was $2.5 billion more than the governor said there was in um, January. And then the federal stimulus added $12.6 billion for this year and next year's budgets, this upcoming year and the year after's budgets, which is more or less what the governor said he, he thought New York State needed. But the legislature would like to add additional revenues, tax increases on wealthy individuals, millionaires, um, uh, tax increases on corporations. Uh, the Assembly wants to, the Senate, one of the houses wants to move uh, an additional surcharge on, um, on on other forms of personal income taxes. So you put that all together and the legislature, both houses, approved budgets that raised revenues by $7 billion on top of what they were getting from the feds. The governor's office had advanced $1.5 billion in January. And so I think that's going to be sort of the how that gets negotiated out, what ultimately the revenues and the amount of revenues look like, how much gets spent in New York. Both houses want to spend over $200 billion. The governor was about a little over $190 billion and how much he wanted to spend. That all has to get worked out first. And then you get into some of the details. The governor's budget is very different from the both legislative budgets, but the Assembly and Senate one-house budget bills that they passed last week are very similar. Uh, and so it really is a legislature versus the executive, I would assume, uh, discussion that's occurring right now. Because of the pandemic, um, we don't know what the what the fiscal health of the of the state is. Given Cuomo's troubles, do you think that's only going to add to the you know the the strain of you know the budget negotiations? I mean, the short answer is yes. I mean, I think the controversies around the governor make it harder to come to a budget agreement. But it's a lot easier to come to a budget agreement because the Congress and the president put together the stimulus package, which I think solves the the, the bottom line uh, budgeting problems of New York for the upcoming fiscal year and the year after that. And it'll appear, I mean, you never know, right? Pandemic comes out of nowhere a little over a year ago. And everything that we thought we knew, you know, last January is, you know, completely different this March. And so it's, it's, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely sort of tricky to project going forward. But what we know now, the federal stimulus money should put New York and its localities budgets in much better shape. And, um, you know, whether or not something unknown happens, of course, there's no way to know. And that could throw things into disarray. I mean, anything's possible. But the way, based on what we know now, I think the finances are in reasonably good shape. The governor's troubles, I think, make it harder to have for them for them to have a, sort of a trust agreement. So last year, when they did a budget, they gave the governor extensive powers to unilaterally change the budget and to unilaterally change the laws of the state. There's no way the legislature is going to agree to that this year. And so the trust, I think, factor, which is sort of the intangible thing, it's hard to measure. I assume that that's evaporated 
between the governor and legislative leaders, given this, the controversy. In that, in that way, it makes it harder for them to come to a budget agreement. Last year, uh, COVID really hit in March when things started closing down. And, you know, it was right before the budget was finalized. And this year, is things the same where where everybody's doing it remotely and is it working well? And did you learn, you guys learn a lot from, you know, the shutdown of last year? I mean, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, last year, the pandemic hits, no one's prepared for it, right? Because the last time anything like this happened was a hundred years ago. And so how we work, how we interact with our friends, how the legislature made decisions. And a year ago, no one knew what to do. It's a year later. We have, you know, while there's a lot about the COVID-19 coronavirus that we don't know about still, um, the therapies have improved, the, um, the sort of public health measures that need to be in place in order to reduce the transmission of the diseases more well-known. We have a much better understanding of how the disease, in fact, is transmitted from one person to another. And the legislature has adapted its rules to allow for voting remotely and for not to uh, create a super-spreading event by having them all come together in one room. And so that uh-huh. seems to have worked in terms of making decisions. Where, where there's a big failing, in my opinion, is because they're remote, because they're not at the Capitol, it's much harder for uh, particularly nonprofit lobbyists to have their voices heard by legislators because they control when you talk to them. It's not like when they're all in the Capitol and they're wandering in the hallway, you could catch one of them outside of a committee meeting to talk to them about an issue. None of that sort of, um, um, you know, not structured interaction, that unstructured interaction, that doesn't occur anymore. And it's much more difficult to, to be heard, at least verbally. You can obviously send them letters. So it's different. It's very different than it's been for the 40 years that I've been doing this. And it is uh, unique in that way. But the legislature has figured out how to make decisions um, while at the same time adhering to the best practices when it comes to public health. So... Everything is still done remotely. Does the legislature meet in person at all? Really? I mean, the reason I sort of give a sort of vague answer is they still appear on the floor, but it's usually just a handful of lawmakers that either control the agenda of the day or who want to speak the vast majority of the interactions are done on a Zoom platform, and that is by and large the way that the committees and the hearings and everything else are held. They're not held in person. But there is some element of in-person activity, particularly on the floor, when votes are being taken. But it is by and large a remote system now. That's right. You know, if you were, before the pandemic, if you were, to walk over to the Capitol on a Tuesday or even the LOB, you would see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lobbyists, you know, walking door to door to talk to 
you know, the legislature and you would see press conferences and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the lobbyists, the people that come to lobby on Tuesday are no longer there. How is that affecting the state economy? I don't know how much it affects the economy. I mean, it affects decision-making because, you know, all of that sort of uh, public-facing advocacy can influence, for example, how the media covers a particular issue, how lawmakers react to a particular issue. Um, and, um, and and so in that way, it can uh, the sort of the public-facing side of it, the rallies, the protests, the news conferences, can influence policy and they can't it really it's while those things still happen, it's done differently. And so the impact is different. Lobbyists, on the other hand, the individuals, if they are part of the big firms or the firms that have clients that make the campaign contributions, they still have access and their phone calls get picked up. And um, I, my guess is for them in some ways it's easier because they don't have to wander around the hallways and find out what everybody else is doing. They know that it is a pretty closed process now. And the more closed the process, the more it is closed from the public, the more it is about, you know, inter, uh, uh, small interactions between legislators and lobbyists, the more it benefits the well-heeled uh, interest groups. And so in, in that way, it's, it, it probably impacts. And I mean, that being said, I mean, it would be hard to do a straight-up comparison because not only has the pandemic changed the way that um, advocacy occurs, it's changed the economics of the state. It's changed the public health priorities of the state in ways that make the apples to apples comparison very hard to do. Do you envision sometime in the future that things will go back to the way it was before? No, no, no. I mean, you know, it, I mean, if one thing we've learned, I mean, this is the uh, this is the most recent, um, you know, emergence of an unknown virus. There have been others, but either because of the weaknesses of the virus or because of public health reactions to it, they were, you know, sort of contained. The SARS virus, the you know, swine flu, and you know, those kinds of things occurred, but they've been sort of controlled. Ebola, they've all been controlled. This is the first one that sort of ran wild through the whole world. And a lot of that is due to the way that humans interact with the natural environment. And so there's no reason to think that that's going to change. And so that may mean that there'll be more pandemics. Now, you know, again, therapeutically, people seem to know more about how to react to that and societies adapted to it. And so I don't think it'll ever go back to the way it was in 2019, but I think it could go back to a more uh, human interacting um um, legislative process in the future than it is now, even if we have to wear masks to do it. So next year is going to be the gubernatorial election. Do you think COVID will have a major part in the way the campaign is is waged? No, uh, you know, I mean, I, go ahead. Cuomo seems to be on the ropes, and, you know, there's so many different factors that have, that come into play. Um, 
Do you envision Cuomo running again and possibly winning? What do you think? Well, so there's two different kinds of questions you ask. One is sort of the nuts and bolts of um, uh, of election campaigns. In 2022, all the statewide state offices, comptroller, governor, attorney general, they're all up for grabs, and all 213 legislative seats are up for grabs, and all members of Congress, uh, except for, I think, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand are up, uh, are up as well. So it's a big year in New York. Getting on the ballot is a petitioning process in New York. Uh, how that, whether or not COVID is still a major factor will impact on that. So how it impacts on elections, I think, I think it's unknown because we don't know how, what the pandemic is going to be like a year from now. But assuming the vaccines work, assuming these variants are not a problem, a major problem for the vaccines, it's very possible that we'll have campaigning that looks like what we used to see in 2018 than it looked like in 2020. In terms of the governor, it's very hard to run for a fourth term. His father lost running for a fourth term. Third right. terms tend to be the hardest things to deal with. Governor Pataki packed it in after three terms. As I mentioned, Cuomo lost after his third term. Uh, mm-hmm. Mayor Bloomberg was able to get three terms, but his legacy was damaged, really, by his third term. And the governor's, uh, the current governor, Andrew Cuomo's, tenure has been damaged by his third term as well. His legacy has been damaged by the third term. So what he decides to do, I think, is going to be more a function of what we learned from the attorney general's report, from the FBI investigations, from the assembly's impeachment um, um, investigation. What, what we find out in those things probably has more of an impact on what happens in 2022 for Andrew Cuomo than anything else. My, in my mind, I believe he certainly wants to, he's going to, he's dug in to do everything he can to finish this term. And if those investigations don't really find anything, um, I mean, you know, the allegations against him are uh, terrible, uh, but if they don't find anything that was criminal or something where he gets sanctioned, you know, in a significantly sanctioned, if he's somehow able to get through that, I think he was going to, I think in his mind, he's going to be thinking toward running for a fourth term. I think it's made immeasurably harder by the revelations that we've heard so far, but again, we don't know what these reports are going to find. And mm-hmm. to some extent, the future hinges on those reports. How has your job changed within the last year? Well, I hardly go to the office. Uh, so there's that. I work much more from home. That has advantages okay. and disadvantages. I don't see people as much. I don't get a chance to sort of mix it up with, uh, other lobbyists and elected officials like I used to. Um, it still happens, but it's much more limited. And as the executive director of NYPERG, New York Public Interest Research Group, I'm always, you know, I'm dealing with trying to make sure everybody gets paid, right? I mean, the last thing in the world you want to do is lay anybody off in the middle of the pandemic. So I spent a lot more time trying to figure out how to raise money and how to cut expenses than I was doing prior to the pandemic. Uh, because mm-hmm. I have a responsibility to the you know forty some odd staff uh, to make sure that they continue to have health insurance and are gainfully sort of gainfully employed by NYPERG. so that takes up much more of my bandwidth than it used to. So you've been involved with state government for a long time. Is this the most challenging time you've ever you've ever worked through? Yes. I mean, we never really? had to deal with, we never had to deal with P 
people possibly getting sick and maybe even dying but as a result of human interaction on a large scale. And, and that has changed, fundamentally changed the way uh, politics uh, operates. And because of it, um, uh, it's, you know, it's, things are, it's, it makes it very difficult because it's uncharted waters. No one really knows what's going to happen next. And while we've gotten better, I think as a society, better at dealing with COVID than we were a year ago, much better, in fact, with vaccines and everything else, we still don't know what's going to happen next. And, you know, these variants, there may be some because so many people are not yet vaccinated or refuse to get vaccinated. There'll be new variants that are going to emerge that could pose real problems down the road. So I don't think we're out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, It sort of depends on how we all behave and whether or not we get vaccinated and the vaccines uh, are, um, are, they work. So what should people, in, the, in this last week before April 1st, what should people be aware of that they're not too aware of now? Instead of, uh, you know, dwelling on Cuomo's misadventures, what should they be mindful of, given the fact that the budget has to be passed next week. Depends on what they're most interested in. So, for example, if the if your listeners are particularly interested in higher education, the legislative budgets uh, funnel a lot of money to uh, higher education, both public and private colleges and universities. And the federal uh, stimulus that comes is is doing, is really the reason why. And so a lot of financial aid programs have been restored at the, under the legislative budget, not cut. The governor had cut them. Uh, affording public colleges made it easier. Um, and so there's a lot of things in that area. In the area of um, water infrastructure, there's, more, there's money in the budget for that. So it depends on what people are interested in, but what they're interested in. They should let their elected officials know that they expect them to get the budget done um, in the next week or so, and that they expect that the, the federal stimulus results in better programs for the state, not just that there's more money in the programs, programs are better run. Because um, I, one thing that we have seen that has been a, a problem is um, there's been sort of a, a lack of innovation in how um, programs have been used and this reprieve that the state got because of the congressional stimulus, I think allows it to sort of re-engineer government in a way that makes it a more efficient, effective, and ethical government. And that needs to be done too. So in addition to restoring the governor's cuts, improving uh, the financing of programs, uh, New Yorkers should tell them that we've had, that we've had it with all of these controversies and everything else, we want a professional, ethical, efficient government, and that now's the time to do it because they just got saved because of the Congress. They just got saved in terms of having to deal with cuts to these programs. They now have an opportunity to improve them. Before the Congress stepped in, what what did the budget deficit look like in New York? Well, you know, it was sort of a moving target. Uh, the state's finances never got as bad as the governor estimated, um, and revenues uh, were the, the 
revenue shortfalls, Governor estimated, <clears throat> turned out not to be as great as he thought, which is good, right? It's a good thing. Um, so the sort of depends how you look at it. The governor had been saying that between the upcoming fiscal year and the and well the, the accumulated deficit from the current fiscal year that we're in plus next year's total fifteen billion, which is probably on the high end. I mean, this is uh, the governor and legislative leaders. When they agreed to revenues earlier this month, they said there's two and a half billion dollars more than they anticipated, than the governor anticipated. So presumably that means the 15 is lower. Um, so there was a budget deficit going into the pandemic of six billion dollars, accumulated budget deficit to, for the state to pay for all the programs reacting to COVID, and there was going to be a shortfall in the upcoming year, and that would total anywhere from 12 to 15 billion dollars, according to the administration. Now, the Congress fills that in, basically. They came up with $12.6, $12.7 billion in direct appropriations for the state, plus money for localities, plus money for higher education on top of that. And so there's a lot of cash that came in that should deal with the state's finances through the end of 2024. However, we don't know what the future holds. But I, the deficit was... It was $6 billion going into the pandemic. It was upwards to $15 billion coming out of the pandemic. Well, currently, where we're at now, we're not out of the pandemic. And a lot of that, if not all of that, has been eliminated by the, uh, uh, the federal term stimulus. The feds have misstepped in, do you think, Cuomo's, Cuomo's um, woes would, would be a lot worse than they are now? Say that again. I'm sorry. If the feds had misstepped in oh, with the yeah, stimulus, would Cuomo's yeah, yeah, I mean, be worse? The short answer is yes. Yes. The short answer is yes, because the budget would have been so much harder to deal with. All you'd be doing is cutting popular programs or raising even more in taxes uh, to cover deficits. And that just makes everything harder in terms of the governor's like sort of personal woes the allegations of harassment or the misinformation around nursing home deaths um, those things would have uh, wouldn't be any necessarily any worse due to the pan, due to the budget deficit but it would have made for a much more restive legislature and a much more unhappy populace which would have made the governor's woes worse so in the final moments that we have Blair uh, give us your contact information. If somebody wants to know more about NYPIRG or contact NYPIRG, how, how can they do so? Well, we have a website, uh, www.nyperg.org. That's N-Y-P-I-R-G, New York Public Interest Research Group.org. And it has contact information for me on there. It's bhorner, B-H-O-R-N-E-R, at nyperg.org. But the uh, website has uh, information for people who are interested. For example, we have a What's in Your, my, what's in your Water uh, webpage where people can type in their zip codes and see what kind of unregulated contaminants show up in their drinking water supplies. We offer services on our website, and it's a way for people to find out more about us and to contact us uh, if they want. So website's the best. So you've been, I've been talking to Blair Hona who is the executive director of NYPERG. If you like this show, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.
Blair, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Have a great day. And good luck with all of the stuff that's going on at the Capitol. Bye. Thank you, and great talking to you.